Welcome to the Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Pastor Jim is teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now let's join Pastor Jim for today's Abiding Word. Morning. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. been reminded a handful of times this week that our brother, Pastor Jack Hibbs, is in 2 Thessalonians or doing a sermon series on the Antichrist. I was informed of that, um, but I can tell you I've intentionally not listened to it uh, because we are in 2 Thessalonians and um, I believe that God is giving us a word from him for our, our church here. So I don't want to be influenced by Jack, and even though I know he's influenced by the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit has a word for all of us uh, through these scriptures. And I was mentioning to somebody this morning, uh, you know, it's like we're kind of stuck in mud here in 2 Thessalonians, um, but I believe it's necessary. And I'm reminded of what Peter told the church in his second epistle, is that um, reminding them of the things that they've heard, and it would, you know, stir up their hearts. And so as we go through these scriptures, nothing new will be given to most of you, I'm sure. But the Lord wants to stir our hearts up and stir our hearts up to the truth, the truth of who he is, what he's done for us, the truth and how important it is to be in fellowship, and the truth that he's coming again. And what is our mindset with Jesus coming again? You know, we've been hearing this since the day you've been saved. Jesus is coming soon. But guess what? Soon has turned into a little bit longer than what we say soon is. But he's coming. Amen? So let's open our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And again, this, this chapter has so much information regarding God's prophetic timeline. And um, so much information there. Remember the context, the Apostle Paul wrote this second letter to the church here in that uh, much of it was they were, they were confused. They had some false teaching given to them and regarding the day of the Lord. And so Paul is sorting that out. And, and again, all by way of encouragement. Um, so again, it's important that we understand that context and be reminded as we open up the Word of God all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be completed, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's wanting to do a work, and he is doing a work. He's doing great things. I know that we would keep our eyes on him. Amen. Father, we pray this morning... Uh, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, you know what each person here needs this morning to be built up in the faith, to be encouraged, to be lifted up in your truth. And so, Lord, we pray just as you have met with us in a time of praise and worship. You are so worthy, Lord. We pray for the same Spirit to teach us this morning, that we would be servants of yours, Lord, that we would be in tune with what you're doing in this world today. 
and what you desire for your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we covered two verses. This week we'll carry a couple more. We'll cover a couple more. Uh, but again, it, it's all good. Because we do need to understand the times that we're living in, the spirit of the times. And again, as we see in these scriptures, um, and this prophetic timeline that God gives to us in his word, as a word of encouragement to the Thessalonians, Paul, as we'll see, gave three distinct um, essentials, the preconditions of the coming of the day of the Lord. And remember, they thought they had missed the rapture of the church. And Paul, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians, taught that the rapture of the church, that Jesus would come for his bride, just as we sang this morning. He would come for his bride and literally snatch us out of this earth and forever to be with him. And remember in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, comfort one another with these words. And so he's reminding them there's three things that have to take place or will begin to take place before the day of the Lord. So let's just dive in here. Verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so here's the instruction, the exhortation here, let no one deceive you. Again, that word deceive and deception. Deception can be simply defined as to make someone believe in something that is not true. And uh, the Thessalonian church, remember, they were being deceived by the false prophets who spoke a prophetic utterance in a meeting, probably, and that they missed the rapture and that they were living now in the day of the Lord. And those who had heard that prophetic utterance went about, and uh, just as you do when you leave here, you go to lunch and you start telling the non-believers uh, what the message is all about, right? Well, if you don't, you should. And so by word of mouth, these things were getting out. And then um, Paul will mention, as we see, um, the, uh, the revealing of the falling away. And then the, the revealing of the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the Antichrist. And of course, these things, when we think about deception and, and deceit, um, you know, this, as we know, it's, it's, this, is, this is what Satan does. This is his methodology um, to shaken, to trouble, to bring fear, to distort the hope that we have in Jesus. Remember in 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, Paul encouraged the flock there, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. So the schemes that the enemy has, he doesn't have very many plays in his playbook. But deceit is very much his MO, right? Deceiving man and deceiving man about who God is, deceiving man and what God has said. And this has been true since the garden. And we're going to look at a little bit of that more closely. 
And it's true today. The enemy is deceiving the world. I'm reminded of that scripture in Corinthians that, that God, or excuse me, that Satan is the God, the little g of this world, and he's blinding the world to the truth of who God is and the truth of God's love for us and that he sent his son Jesus to the cross to pay that price that you and I deserve, the penalty for sin, the debt that we owe to God. And so the lie for Satan is to, as we'll see, opposes everything of God. I'm reminded of the scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, verse 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the, excuse me, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Again, schemes, the wiles, the, the action of the enemy. And of course, certainly false prophets play, play into that, that distorting the truth. And of course, you have the false prophets out there in the world. That's not, that's not our concern, right? It's the false prophets that enter into the church. And the early church had to deal with this. And we have to deal with it today. That anything, and how do we test that? Well, we test the prophet by whether or not who they, who they say Jesus is first, right? As we looked at last week in, in John's epistle. And remember throughout the ministry of Jesus, he warned his disciples over and over and over again. Consider Matthew 7.15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And so that's deception. Without Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And then what about Matthew chapter 24? As you know, the Olivet Discourse, remember as Jesus was there at the temple with his disciples, and he said, or excuse me, the word tells us now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Of all the things that Jesus could have said at that particular time to his disciples, as they are wanting to know when will the kingdom come, Jesus says, Take heed. Be careful. There's going to be those that come in his name. And to deceive. And we certainly are living in an age where the body of Christ is even more so being deceived. And again, that falls right in line with uh, what we see in 2 Thessalonians when Paul says there in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. Again, they were being deceived by uh, the, the false prophets, the word, and then a letter that came uh, circulating through uh, Thessalonica saying, and even with Paul's name signed to it, again, that the day of the Lord had come. So the enemy deceives and he wants to be rid of any hope that we have in God. And he says, unless the falling away comes first. Unless the falling away comes first. Now this is interesting because within the body of Christ, there are different interpretations of the falling away. So we'll spend the next couple hours going over all those things. 
No, we won't. The falling away. In the Greek here, it's apostasia. Apostasy. And which means, this is important, which, which means rebellion or abandonment. Again, important for us to understand the meaning there. And this rebellion simply speaks of a rebellion against God's rule. Not so much meaning the forsaking of our first love. You know, Paul, or excuse me, Jesus warned the church at Ephesus, right, in Revelation about returning to their first love. Certainly we can say, or, or you know, a subtitle or a sub-definition uh, of much of the church world today is that, you know, the apathy towards the gospel and towards getting the gospel out. There's been just a shift in the last few decades of, of you know, the meaning of the church and the purpose of the church and not enough focus on the Great Commission. Amen? Amen. You trust me on that, right? So it's not really a, a believers falling away and not walking close with the Lord. It goes much, much deeper than that. This is under the professing church, uh, a word that we can, might use as Christendom. Under the whole umbrella of Christi Christendom is everything that is named Christianity, and we understand that everything named within Christianity is not Christian, right? And so, in the falling away, in these last days, the falling away is speaking of uh, something much more significant than even the falling away, because there's always been apostasy within the body of Christ. There's always been, since the day the church began at Pentecost, there's always been those who would fall away from the Lord. But this is something entirely on a different scale. It's the falling away, the apostasy. And so in the scriptures, we have significant warnings. Uh, consider 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul was encouraging Timothy here, saying latter days, and we understand latter days is latter days. We understand we're living in latter days, the last days. Certainly the, the early church dealt with these things, right? Doctrines and demons coming in, they had to uh, overcome that by the word of God. But in latter times, as we fast forward, certainly we have doctrines of demons coming into the church, being embraced instead of exposing them. We have to admit this. And then what about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5? But know this. Now, do we need a commentary for that? But know this. What was Paul thinking when he said this? But no, no. The Holy Spirit is saying, know this. Know this. That in the last days, peerless times will come. 
For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Wow. And it's interesting, this is describing the last day's church. This isn't speaking of non-believers. This is speaking of last day's church. And the emphasis as we read here, it's an emphasis on the love of self. Is that a problem today? Being a lover of self? Absolutely it is. But it's interesting when we think about... Um, the last day's church in that this defines. You know, how, how does something like this happen? Because you and I know, because you're students of, of the word, Jesus said, deny self. Right? But, but is that popular? No, if you go into even Christian bookstores, you're not going to have the first book that you see, deny yourself, because Jesus said. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. You're not going to find that on the on the first table that you see or the first bookshelf. What you're going to find is something like forgive yourself. Love yourself. Because once you can forgive yourself, then you can let God work in your life. That doesn't line up with the scriptures. You see, it's twisted. And what's happened in the body of Christ? One way, not the only way. Right? We know Satan is so clever, but the infiltration of human psychology entering into the church has really done damage. And again, we're not looking at the world saying, shame on you world for bringing this in. It's the church. It's the mindset that we have in, and I'm talking you know, worldwide church, the, the church of Jesus Christ. It's filtered in. It's filtered in, and it, 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 it deals with emotions and feelings rather than the truth of God's word. And that's not to suggest any psychologist or anybody like that doesn't care about people. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting is psychology and the word of God does not line up with one another because of the very foundation. What is man's problem? Man's problem is that we're sinners. We're separated from God. But in that, God, in his great love and mercy, he has given us the remedy for our biggest need to be rid of the sin and walk with God in a relationship with him. As he designed. Our problem is sin. The problem is self. We think too highly of ourselves. In Romans chapter 12, before listing the spiritual gifts, God is so good. Before he lists the spiritual gifts, remember what it says there? Don't think too highly of yourself. Why is that in there? Well, because we have a tendency to think too highly of ourselves. And uh, I don't know about you, that's when I get into hot water. When I think my thoughts are above somebody else's. And then, you know, self is the problem. In any, any uh, relationship that you have, marriage, parenting, man, those, self is an issue. At the workplace, 
Self is an issue. Self-control. Oh my goodness. We need more of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We need the Spirit. We need the fruit. We need the Holy Spirit. Self-control. I don't like that phrase. I tell you, anytime I ask the Lord to work in my life, Lord, I know I need more humility and I need to be more humble. Will you work in my life? That, the Lord is faithful. He will do it. Lord, help me to have more self-control so the Holy Spirit will come out and it will be fruit. He's faithful. Look out when you pray like that, because he's faithful. Remember in Colossians, Paul said this, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men and according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Well, a very foundational tradition of man is that man is good. And isn't that what Satan tried to tell Eve? You don't need the word of God. You're already good. And when you witness to people, what is the number one hindrance of them listening to you and surrendering their life to you? Well, I'm a good person. And what about when you ask somebody to pray for them? What is the, it's like survey says, the number one answer, I'm good. And of course, the flesh wants to say, no, you're not. Let me tell you, don't do that unless you're led of the, of the Lord. But again, the self. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, now we better start, start with one for context, sorry. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all love, suffering, and teaching, for the time will come when they will endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you... Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions to the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul speaks of a time when people will not want to hear the truths of God. And again, emphasis on the church of Jesus Christ. Foundational truths. You know, I thought, well, maybe I'll get the most updated statistics of the body of Christ and list all the different denominations and what percent actually, you know, there are surveys out there, um, you know, things done that you can come up with, but it changes so fast. We're living in a day, I think I saw a few months ago, and um, I didn't read the whole article, uh, so I probably shouldn't even bring it up, but I will anyway, um, of how many Christians actually believe in the biblical worldview. And wasn't it like less than 10%? Something like that. That's, it's, that speaks to this. When you think about the foundationals of our faith, you think of about Jesus. 
the person of Jesus, God in the flesh. And then you think about the atonement that took place at the cross. Again, this isn't anything new. This isn't just from you know, the last few years. Remember 12, 15 years ago, the influence of the emergent church on the body of Christ. Remember those days? You have Rob Bell and the Velvet Elvis or whatever that book was that was just penetrating our youth, not believing in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, if you take away the atonement of Jesus Christ, you take away the blood shed at Calvary, what left do we have of Christianity? Nothing. Foundational truth. What about his resurrection? What about the word of God being inerrant and infallible? See, all these things, even today, we're seeing that much of the church world have, are denying these things. And certainly when you reject a biblical worldview, it certainly implies that you reject truth. And remember what Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. The psalmist, 119.160 said, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endure forever. Psalm 25.5 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me. You are the God of my salvation. On you wait. On you I wait all the day. And then, I was about to say Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude. Um, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Contending earnestly for what, what faith? The faith. Contending earnestly for the faith will not make you popular. I can remember, and when I read this, I always remember a time when my daughter was in college and she came home from college. And uh, we were getting out all of her uh, VHS movies out. And um, I wanted to see if the, the VHS player uh, still worked. If not, I was going to pitch it. So I started putting in these, you know, The Lion King. So at that time, our little boy was little and... Um, we watched The Lion King when my daughter came home together. The Lion King has a lot of worldviews in it, but not a biblical worldview. I couldn't not just say something to my family. But here we are having a great family time at Christmas season. My daughter's home, and, and I started pointing out 
to different biblical worldviews. And I'll never forget my daughter half joking and half not. Mom, mom, you need to come here and talk to dad. The circle of life is not biblical. There's times I can't help it, and it doesn't. I have been in battles and wars and been steamrolled, but there's something why. And the Lord showed me because there's times that, oh, Pastor Jim, you sure know what he, you sure know what he's against. Sometimes it's more what he's against than what he's for. But in that scripture, when Jude, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can, uh, giving the exhortation to uh, contend earnestly for the faith. It says, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when the grace and mercy of God is distorted, salvation cannot come to man. There's a lot of self-help programs with good motives. That cannot change man. There is no higher power that changes man. The Lord God transforms man at the very moment recognizing they're a sinner and recognizing and experiencing and being convicted of the love of God to turn to him at that moment. Then change can happen. the self-help movement. And you know, it's interesting. Well, well past those days, it's like the body of Christ is going through a journey and we're in a chapter now that has not even been thought of unless we focus on these scriptures. We're talking about Friday night Bible study. There, there's no reasoning with people. You know, obviously the Holy Spirit has to be involved when we witness and we minister to people. The Holy Spirit has to be present, but it, it's difficult to to witness to people at times. You can't, you can't go by what we've always done. right? We, we, first of all, we need to be praying people that the Lord gives us these divine opportunities that he shows up and tweaks that heart. Because if the Lord isn't, we're doomed as far as being effective. Yeah, we can be faithful. Don't mishear me. I don't know what your batting average is when you're talking to non-believers on the street or at Walmart or in the workplace or whatever, but mine's not very good. I couldn't even make the reds with my batting average. <laughs> but we see here, Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians is the falling away. And I do believe that this falling away is speaking of a spiritual departure from the faith. There are some very godly men very scholarly, will point to this as being the rapture. I don't take that viewpoint. I don't, you know, slam those that do. I do think the rapture obviously plays a very big part in this prophetic timeline that God shows us in his word here. But I do believe that this is a uh, the falling away. And you know, the church being ineffective 
and I'm talking right for decades or what, whatever. I'm not saying us. We're part of the church, though. How did it, how do we get here? And this falling away. And I can give you a lot of different examples of we're seeing the apostasy today. I shared some things with you about you know the certain elements of the foundational truths that leads to apostasy. I mean, my goodness, how many uh, Christian musicians have we seen in the last couple of years denounce their faith? How many pastors have gone astray? Well, I no longer believe that. How many ministry leaders, youth leaders, worship leaders? It's, it's all over the body of Christ. And it gets attention, doesn't it? Why is that? Why is that some guy, some person here or there, why do they get in the headlines? Well, because it's Satan. He wants people to see these crazy nutjob Christians who believe we're living in the last days, who are standing firm on their word of God, they're the problem. And we are viewed the problem. Who was it, Obama, that said those last day Bible-believing Christians? He's absolutely right. We are so dangerous. We are dangerous because of God. Dangerous of rescuing people from the pit of hell. And one, one thing why we're thinking about false prophets just, just came to me is uh, a very fast, becoming more popular more and more is the thought that the church must be bring in righteousness before Jesus will come. There's nothing that we're waiting on to have to do for the coming of the Lord. We're waiting on him. There's nothing we need to do. There's no, the Bible has given us everything that we that we need when it comes to God's prophetic timeline. We don't have to take over governments. We don't have to take over nations to usher. Then Jesus will come. I'm telling you, it, oh my goodness. You can't rely on governments for anything. Surely not to get them to a place that will be good enough for Jesus to come. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. We're waiting up for Jesus to come now. Nothing else has to take place. And we're to be ready. Uh, where are we at here? Second Thessalonians. We'll move on to the next verse then. Oh, no, we won't. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This, of course, is speaking of the Antichrist, the man of sin the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, brings remembrance to Judas, son of perdition, was doomed for destruction, not annihilation, ruination. And the same will be true of the Antichrist. This, this man who will be on this earth, possessed of the devil, as we see throughout God's prophetic timeline, of this antichrist, this man of sin, verse 4 says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we see here two very important characteristics of the Antichrist that line up with the very character 
and distinctives of Satan himself, opposes and exalts himself. In Isaiah chapter uh, 14, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, we get this given to us. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So the characteristic of the Antichrist will line up with that of, of Satan. And did you catch all those I wills? So here's where I get myself in hot water, wondering if it's inspired of God or I'm just sharing my own conviction. But sometimes that sounds like some of the contemporary worship songs played today. I will. I will. I will. Not that anybody's singing of Satan. The emphasis in worship, though, is the Lord and what he's done for us. Left to myself, my, what I do for God is nothing but filthy rags. But with Christ, though, again, we're powerful. It's anointed by God. But Satan is the master of I will. And he wants us to be master of I will. And Lucifer, his name before the fall, wanted to exalt himself before God. And yet he's not God. He's a, he's a created being. Right there, that just gives us comfort, doesn't it? Satan has no power over us as born-again believers. Nothing. He has no power over us. He can influence us if we let him. But he has no power over us. And so with the Antichrist, the coming world leader, we see here the purpose. Did you catch that? To set himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Now, certainly we understand Antichrist in opposition of Christ, Satan in opposition of God, totally rebelling against God's rule and authority. But interesting in the last days, when we think about the Antichrist, again, we have the apostasy now, and we'll get into this next week a little bit. The, when does the Antichrist, when is he revealed? Some ask the question, is he here on earth? I don't know, I haven't met him. So I can't say if he is or not. But what I do know, he will be here, and he's going to have these characteristics that we just went over, and his desire is to lure away anybody that would believe in God. But it's not just Christianity. And it's interesting that, you know, the days that we're living, part of the apostasy is the co-convergence, coexisting all religions together. Is that a popular thing today? 
How many have seen bumper stickers this week? I'm not even going to ask what you did. I know you prayed. We should be praying, number one. But see, Satan wants to believe that all religions are equal. And they're not, because you and I say Jesus Christ is Lord and there's one way to God. No other religion. So it's interesting when we think about what's going on in the Middle East now and how you have uh, you know, the worship of uh, the Christian God, you have uh, the Jews' God, and you have the Islam's God. And we just mesh it together all to, you know, to, to, to influence people like all religions are equal. And see, that's going to be a very powerful thing in the New World Order that is coming. We're not going to stop it. It's part of God's plan. And that when the Christians, when we're taken out of here, this one world religion, part of the one world government, and the Antichrist is going to be leading it. He'll be leading the, the, gov- uh, the, the world. And again, we'll talk more about that next week. But let's talk, uh, focus here for a few minutes again on the characteristic of of the enemy and how important it is for you and I to be able to discern, right? As it says here, we know that we know at that three and a half year mark, at that time, the Antichrist would reveal himself to the world in his true colors and setting himself up to be God. We're at the Holy of Holies. Again, we'll touch on that more next week. But he sets himself up up above any God, any form of worship. Again, why is this important for us? Why is this that we chew on these things? Well, in 1 John chapter 2. In verses 18 through 22. Again, the, the warning of... The Antichrist and the Antichrist spirit is nothing new. It just didn't start at COVID. Listen to what, under the inspiration of the Spirit, in the first epistle of John. Little children, it is the last hour. How many believe we're living in the last hour? How about last minutes? Seconds? Moments? Oh, Lord, just come now. We'll be happy. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So when you get those religions, or when you get that person that you witness to, that do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that is a spirit of Antichrist. Not that they are the Antichrist. A spirit of of Antichrist. Uh, you know, it's amazing how, 
rumors get started or teachings happen, well, so-and-so could be the, the Antichrist. We need to really be careful. You know, what is it? It's 2023. Fifteen years ago, there's a lot of the body of Christ naming Obama as the Antichrist. I don't think he is. But again, I don't know. Well, we can know, I guess, from Scripture. Um, First John chapter 4. Verses 3 and 4. We looked at this last week in an exhortation to be testing every spirit. Verse 3 says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Paul reminded them in verse 5, as he's sharing these things with them, about the Antichrist, he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He asked them the question. You know, remember, they were, uh, Paul and his team was there in Thessalonica for a short period of time. Some scholars say three weeks, some say three months. Doesn't really matter to you and I. Can you imagine your first three months as a believer being taught the things that Paul, as we've seen in the scriptures? And maybe you were, praise God. But three months, the first three months of your life in Christ, that, that was a lot, wasn't it? It was glorious. It was like you were reborn, born of the Spirit. <laughs> Paul didn't hesitate to share things of the future, prophetic things from the Word of God. He didn't worry about things being controversial. He didn't, he didn't uh, you know, didn't think that it was irrelevant and unimportant for these new believers. He thought it was important for their spiritual welfare. Knowing things, what the Bible says about end times, it's much more than just having facts. It's a great thing that we have the blessing of God's word and the Holy Spirit to help us to believe in the truth that God gives to us. And we have in our head, knowledge, we have it in our heart. But wisdom is, is that we apply everything that the Holy Spirit's given us. And I think it's interesting that I read that part in a commentary years ago. Paul believed it was necessary for their spiritual welfare that they would know the things of the future. Could you imagine yourself, number one, being a non-believer living in the days we're living in today? Can't even fathom that. What about being a believer and not being in the Word of God? Being part of a local church that believes in the Word of God, believes, as mentioned, the power of prayer, believes and knows and has that conviction that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Or being part of a movement that is a distinctive, right? The Calvary Chapel movement, in which we belong, from Pastor Chuck. The belief, conviction that Jesus Christ is coming. Not just having it here, but living it out. And I love listening to the, to the older Jesus freaks and, and how they share. Of course, we have some of those folks here. Uh, 
But to see how it was when they came to the Lord and they were part of the Jesus revolution and they didn't know anything but to, you know, just we're following Jesus, getting rid of the drugs and we're following the Lord and we have peace and we go tell people about Jesus and come to church and you're going to get filled with the Spirit when you confess your life to Christ and, and all. And they didn't know anything except just live for the Lord and believe he was coming back. And then time goes on and Jesus didn't come. The next thing you know, you get married and Jesus didn't come. And then you have kids and Jesus didn't come. And then you're pastoring a church and Jesus didn't come. And now you're getting ready to retire from the church because you're old. Jeez, Jesus hasn't come. But listen, their conviction's the same as it was 50, 60 years ago. Living and waiting on the coming of the Lord, knowing he will come because he says he will. It's important that we know these things for the spiritual welfare of our lives. Listen, we're not immune to anything. All the craziness going on, we're not immune to living in the muck. This whole world is a muck. This whole world is in rebellion against God, and it, it just didn't start. It's always been this way. When you read of the first century church and you read in Acts and all the different epistles and uh, you see the warfare that uh, they went through, and remember, hey, let's just forget the warfare. They gave their lives for Christ. They were beheaded. Remember, beloved Peter wouldn't even be you know, crucified standing straight up. He had, went upside down because of his love for Jesus. We need to know these things, not just for knowledge, but in our heart. What would happen? What would happen if I have a gun pointed to my head and I say, I will never deny Jesus? Who was the girl at Columbine? Uh, what was that? Uh, Rachel Scott. I'll never forget her name. Almost pivoted. She didn't denounce her faith and took the bullet. I want that faith, but I know it won't come from inside my heart. It will come from God who helps me to overcome. We learn these things not to just beat them inside our head, is that we would have the conviction to know what we believe. We're walking with him and him helping us to overcome. In closing, I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, and... Two weeks, we covered four verses. I don't say that for a pat on the back. Again, it's necessary. The exhortation come from the Apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to those that were pilgrims. They were sojourners, you know, the threat of being killed for their faith because of their conviction of Jesus. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Oh my goodness, what does that mean? Well, gird up the loins of your mind. Roll up your sleeves, the mind. Where's the enemy attack you and I today in our mind? What's he want to do? He wants to bring fear. He wants to think that you are the only one going through what you're going through. He wants to be rid of the hope that we have in Jesus. And he says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as you're in your ignorance. Remember, before you came to Christ, we were ignorant of the things of God. But now that we are in Christ and if we walk with him, none of us are, have attained anything yet. We're still growing in the Lord. Amen. That's grace, isn't it, that God allows us to grow? He gives us salvation. Then he says, son and daughter, go grow. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Stay where? On earth. And that kind of sounds like, you know, this isn't our home. Just stay here for a blip, for a time, and then stay here in fear. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. When the enemy brings doubt, when he wants and causes fear, anxiety, being burdened, we can always go back to the truth of what Jesus did for you and I. We can run to the cross and be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And if we can believe in our salvation, how many believe in their salvation today? We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He was buried. He rose again. We have been forgiven. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, not of our own works or effort, but he did it. And if he did that, we can trust the rest of his promises in this book. He will always be with us. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. He tells us to be strong and courageous, and it doesn't matter what you're going through. He's with you. He knows. He's desiring for us to trust in him for his glory. We need to cling to Jesus Christ, amen? We need to cling to him and his word, the truth of who he is, because he's clinging to us. Father, we thank you for your word. I trust in your spirit, Lord, to, to work in the hearts of your people, to bring that edification, encouragement from your truth. Lord, as we look at these scriptures this morning, we look at the person who will be coming onto the scene, the Antichrist. Lord God, we understand that he's a liar. He opposes truth, not of the truth. He's a murderer. But Lord Jesus, you went to the cross to overcome for us. And Lord, whomever it might be this morning, 
maybe having doubt, fear, lacking trust in you, Lord, would you just comfort them with your strength and your truth? And Lord, would you remind us that we are a people of victory? Victory in Jesus. And that while we're here on this earth, you help us to overcome knowing with full assurance that you are coming for your church. It's our great desire, Lord, that we would be that bride waiting for you. That we would hear the words, good and faithful, well done, good and faithful servants. Bless your church, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Jim from Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship located in northern Cincinnati. Thank you for listening to today's Abiding Word. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we hope the word has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord today. You can email me at PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com. That's PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com with any comments or prayer requests. You can also connect with us at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Church website is CalvaryChapelFaithFellowship.org. There you can learn more about the ministry of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.